Hi to all of you watching and listening to this new OIC Sunday Reflection. My name is Maikun Stornagel, and I'm speaking today from Hastechirke, where Oslo International Church usually gathers for our Sunday services. But today, of course, it's just me and the recording team because we can't gather for our services just yet. And you are at home or somewhere listening or watching this on an electronic device where this message, whether it's a video or an audio, is competing with literally thousands of other messages trying to get your attention and your time. Now, some of these messages that we get on our devices, some of them, they mean absolutely nothing to us. We just swipe through them. Some have some impact. And this week I was thinking, what makes a message like this encouraging or discouraging? And I'm not sure the line between those two things is always that clear or obvious. I'm not thinking only about these Sunday reflections or about social media messages and content. What marks the line between encouragement and discouragement between something that gives or drains energy for change and enactment, between something or someone that gives you a, a needed push off the chair and gets you moving and acting, or that pushes you down on the couch thinking, why bother anyway? Again, I don't think the boundary between these two things is necessarily hard-cut and crystal clear. In my experience as a pastor, the things that I say can go both ways. Sometimes the very same message rings very different to two different people listening on the very same day, maybe sitting on the very same pew. In my experience, on the other hand, as a younger brother, the things that I listen from the very same person sometimes about the very same subject, can ring very different depending on a number of factors, especially as, as I was growing up. I'm, I'm the youngest of four boys, and we actually got along quite well growing up. Brothers fight and all of that, but honestly, I think the big picture is that I always admired and respected my older brothers, and we had a great time together. And this means that whatever they told me, had a huge impact on me. And sometimes that impact was very positive. I felt encouraged by them. I felt encouraged by them wanting me to learn stuff, by them showing interest in my development as a person or in my learning of a certain skill. But other times the impact was negative. I felt over-criticized. I felt being picked on. And I would compare myself to them and feel like there was no point in trying harder. I would always fall short or bring disappointment. So sometimes I was encouraged by what they said. Sometimes I was discouraged. The very same people often talking about the very same things. Now I'm sure that sometimes they were in a bad mood or just being mean or, I don't know, just being teenagers who didn't exactly have the world and themselves figured out yet, right? But other times I'm sure that I was the one who was in a bad mood and just not knowing what to do with myself. 
And I've been using the past tense here, talking about growing up, but it's not like we stopped doing this kind of thing as grown-ups. And I'm sure that you can recognize yourself in some of this as well. Someone tells us something on one day and we feel like we've been given an extra push and can run a little longer. Then the next day, it feels like they set an unachievable goal before us and that's just not fair. We pick up our phones on one day and we hear a podcast and feel motivated, encouraged to go and do something like fight poverty or make a better smoothie. Then the next day or the next hour, we hear the next episode and think those hypocrites. They think they got everything figured out. I'm sure their kale smoothie actually tastes like grass. We pick up our Bible and, my oh my, can things go either way there? And one day we feel super spiritual and the company of the saints. The next day we feel like we and Satan are BFFs. There's a number of factors that can play into how we read or hear and how that resonates with us. And there's certainly many of these factors that have to do with us. But I think we need to be honest, though, that one of the factors is the Bible itself. It's an ancient book, and it has thousands of years, literally, of history of interpretation and translations. And it's not the kind of literature that seems too interested in giving us chewed up answers for everything. So what happens when we read something like Paul's letter to the Philippians? Do we feel encouraged or discouraged by Paul? Now, we've been looking at this letter throughout this series that we have called Letters from Lockdown, and we're now at chapter 3. And in this chapter, Paul gives something like a resume of his credentials and his achievements. And just last week, when we were already talking about chapter 3, I told you that, that his point with that is not that we envy him or feel sorry for him or feel like we need to boast the same credentials. I, just, I said that his point was that we find our belonging in the righteousness of Christ and not Paul. That's what we talked about last week. But then we go along in the text today and the second part of this chapter, and, and this is what we get, and I want to read it for you. This is in Philippians chapter 3 from verse 15. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be 
like his glorious body. Now, this seems a bit confusing, Paul. Join together in following my example. Now we're supposed to be like you, to be little Pauls. What is this about? But before we dismiss Paul as arrogant or go down the other road and dismiss ourselves as hopeless cases compared to Paul's intensity, I want to suggest a different approach. I want to let Paul be for a little while and focus not on him, but on three things that Paul brings up here. And there are three, we could call them challenges of the life as followers of Christ. And I will not discuss each of them in detail because each of them deserves a reflection of its own, but I will comment briefly on them. And these three challenges, as I'm calling them, are the challenge of maturity, the challenge of the so-called enemies of the cross, and the challenge of heavenly citizenship. Maturity, enemies of the cross, heavenly citizenship. Now, the first one that Paul brings up is, of course, the issue of maturity. That's how he opens this part. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Now, maturity is always a challenge. But what does Paul mean by being mature here? Again, maturity is a big word, but there are at least two links with what Paul has discussed earlier in the letter that I think can help us give some substance to this word in this context. The first link is in that very first phrase, linking maturity to taking such a view of things. Taking such a view of things. Without going into grammatical details, the language that Paul uses here is reminiscent of a language he has used already before in Paul's introduction to the, what came to be known as a Christological hymn of chapter 2. There, Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Now, if the same view that expression, having the same view of chapter 315 is the same mindset of chapter 2, then the place to look is what is in many senses the cornerstone of the whole letter, which is the Christological hymn, which I'm condensing a bit here and where Paul says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but took the nature of a servant and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that's the first link. The second link doubles down on the first one with the phrase, let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us have the same view. Let us live up to what we have already attained. Well, just before this, Paul has said that he had not yet obtained all of this. This is just before verse 15. 
What then had he attained? Well, not the goal, but the call in Christ Jesus. The walk with Jesus, the daily following. What was already obtained is the grace that is given. <coughs> the, the righteousness of Christ that is enough. Whatever else it might mean then, maturity here has to do with this sharing of Christ in us on the way. His way of humble servitude and love. So that was the first challenge, the challenge of maturity. The second is the issue of the enemies of the cross. And again, there's no time for a lengthy discussion on, what, on who Paul specifically might be referring to, uh, if anyone specifically at all. But it is, I think it's noteworthy that Paul doesn't say the enemies of Christ. He says the enemies of the cross of Christ. The enemies of the cross of Christ. That's peculiar. Why does he say that? What they are enemies, it seems, is not necessarily then of Christ's divinity or of Christ's power or of Christ's moral teachings. But they are enemies of his sacrificial humbling of himself, of his sharing of the reality of death that is inherently human and not divine. So they set themselves on these enemies of the cross, they set themselves on the path of destruction because they set themselves on the path to themselves. Of the different interpretations given over this, the one that seems more logical to me in this sense and in this context is that this is about those who having first come to Christ eventually lose hold of the cross and start focusing on glory and power and what they can gain from faith rather than what they can give in serving love in their faith in Christ. And so they become enemies, not of the idea of Christ, but of the cross of Christ. Now I said I would only comment briefly on each challenge, so let me get to the third, and that is the challenge of heavenly citizenship, if we can call it that way. And this could be a long discussion, so I just want to call attention to two things. First, one of the very issues being faced by the Christians in Philippi, who were reading this letter first, was that their claim of Jesus' lordship put them at odds with the expectations of Roman civil life. In other words, the issue of citizenship here is anything but a future concern. Christ was Lord over them then and there. And this, this means that they were trying to figure out how to live in the kingdom of Christ under the kingship of Christ while living at the same time in the Roman kingdom that they were living in. 
So heavenly citizenship wasn't an excuse for not engaging with their reality. It was a Christ-shaped framework for how they engage with it. That's the first thing. The second thing is how Paul further develops this language of hope by talking about transforming our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. But here's what's interesting. The glorious body of Christ is a body of flesh and bone, a resurrected body into which scars Thomas had stuck his hand. It is a body that, that is, not a body that will be. What does that mean for our hope and for how it plays out today in our bodies as they are in Christ today? And I'll just let you sit with that for a minute. Now here's the thing. As I read through these challenges of the Christian life that Paul sets before us here, I am left with one overwhelming clarity. And that is, I cannot, I cannot, and I should not do this alone. I cannot and I should not do this alone. We can't do this stuff alone. It not only is too hard to do alone, it is inherently plural, communal. And realizing that makes all the difference in trying to make sense of the encouragement that Paul is trying to give us here. Because yes, I believe that Paul wants to encourage us, not to discourage us. And the key to that encouragement, I believe, is in the plural. Because Paul does not say, all of you who are mature should do this or that. He says, all of us, all of us. This isn't about who Paul is. This is about who we are together in Christ. So it is not only his example that he calls us to follow, but also of those who live as we do. That is, of those who live in Christ. Paul is saying we are in this together because we can't do this stuff alone. And so we offer our stories into our common story so that we can do this together, together in Christ. That inclusive plural of Paul's language makes an enormous difference. This isn't about us holding ourselves above and against those who are not as good as we are. This is about taking the road together and taking seriously that Christ is with us as we do that, forming his likeness in our communal shape of his body. If I think back to me and my brothers, 
I guess that's why we still get along and love each other. Because whether I felt discouraged or encouraged by those specific challenges along the way, I never doubted that we were together in this business of maturing as people. The challenges that we face as followers of Christ and as people in the world, they are quite real. And they can be daunting. Maturity isn't easy. And it's not straightforward. But it's something that we do together. And so after fighting some time with Paul, I am finally encouraged by him. By his sharing of his life with me in Christ. And I want to be encouraged by Paul and by your life and by life of those around me. I want to be encouraged by Paul, not by him being better or worse than me, but by us being together in doing this Christ thing in the world. And I want to encourage you And I want to be encouraged by you. Which only makes sense if we're in this together. With the mindset of our serving Lord. If this is just a feed on your wall, it doesn't make any sense. If this is just a word from a stranger... It's okay. Maybe it won't be encouraging. But if we are in this together, then our homework isn't done. Grace and love don't come easy. So let's not give up. Let's not give up. Christ is with us. And so I pray that the Lord may bless you and keep you. That the Lord may make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That he may turn his face towards each and every one of you. Towards us. And may he bring us peace. May he bring you peace. And so, that we may go in love and in faith and in peace and serve the Lord joyfully.